Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Eli Melech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. She said unto her, go, my daughter. She went, came, gleaned in the field after the reapers. Her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Eli Melech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even until the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. And said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young man that they shall not touch thee? When thou art a thirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young man have drawn. Then she fell down in her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and now how thou hast left thy father, thy mother, the land of thy nativity, and art come to a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work. A full reward be given thee of the Lord, God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean, and rebuke her not. Now, We have been following this man, Boaz, very interesting person, since the time that he first appears on the stage among those that God mightily used. And as we've been following our man, Boaz, we've been asking the question, as he's been, as we've seen there, we say, what kind of a man really was Boaz? I mean, what kind of a person was he? And in our last study, we've seen how Boaz was a man of compassion, He was a man of compassion. It says, wherever Boaz went, he not only saw people, he saw the needs in their lives. He not only saw the needs in their lives, he felt 
the needs in their lives. That was our first impression of Boaz when he entered into our field of vision, so to speak, and we saw him in verse four of this chapter where it says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless thee. See, Boaz, the businessman, Boaz, the landowner, Boaz, the entrepreneur, came home from Bethlehem and Boaz saw his reapers. And what did Boaz see when he saw his reapers? Did Boaz see just workers in his business? Is that what he saw? You know, it reminds me of something that happened 40 years ago when Pastor Jim and I visited a very high-powered manager at Cubic Corporation whose wife was a Christian. And this man was one of the top men at Cubic Corporation. He had a 1,000 people working under him. And we were brought into Jim and I, Pastor Jim and I were brought into his large, very impressive office at Cubic. And as soon as we entered into his office, he made a point of telling us how many people he was in charge of. And then we asked him, well, how are you able to manage a 1,000 people? How do you do that? And before we sat down, he said, I will show you. And he brought out this piece of very impressively polished wood. And positioned on the wood were four gears. And these gears were just, they were interlocked with each other. So that when you turned one gear, the other three gears turned. And on each of the gears was a man's name. And then he turned one of the gears and the other gears, you know, turned because they were all meshed in together with each other. And he said, these are my four right-hand men. And I show them this little thing, contraption he had there. I show them this and I train them to work together so that all I have to do is to say to one of them what I need and the others move in synchrony. And he said, I've trained my four right-hand men to be meshed together. So all I have to do is say to the one what I need and all the others, they work together. And I thought to myself, what a proud man who needs God. And he was intoxicated with what Dave shared with me. He called the poison of pride. He was intoxicated with the poison of pride. It was not very long after that, that meeting that we there, that he became intermeshed in an adulterous relationship with a young woman at work, and he lost his marriage. Pride went before his fall. Well, what did Boaz see when he saw his reapers in verse four? Did Boaz see his reapers like gears intermeshed together and working in perfect synchronization to his commands? Had Boaz spent his time with his reapers training them to be in perfect synchrony with Boaz and what he wanted? Not at all. Boaz saw his reapers He didn't see men as gears in his machine. When Boaz saw his reapers, Boaz saw the greatest need in their lives. And Boaz not only saw this greatest need in their lives, but Boaz felt their greatest need in their lives. And when Boaz saw his reapers, he saw their greatest need was for the presence of God in their lives. And he not only saw this, but he felt this. He felt this need. They need. He felt the presence of God in their lives. And that's Boaz. He not only saw the needs of others, but Boaz felt the need of others. And that made Boaz a man of compassion. And in that respect, 
Boaz was just like his master, Jehovah Jesus, who when he saw a great multitude of people, he didn't just see a people that could promote him, but when the Lord Jesus saw this great multitude, he saw their need, in this case for food, in Matthew 5, 15, 32, where it says, then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. See, the Lord Jesus, he not only saw the need of the multitude who had been with him for those three days had run out of food, but the Lord Jesus felt their hunger. And that's why the Lord Jesus was a man of compassion, which is why he said, I have compassion on the multitude in Matthew 15, 32. And that's why in Matthew 15, 32, he said, I have compassion on the multitude. And with those words, he showed us why he's a man of compassion because he not only saw their need, he felt their need. See, he was a man of compassion and Boaz followed Jehovah Jesus. He was a man of compassion. On another occasion, when the Lord Jesus saw a great multitude and in this multitude, he saw their sick that they were bringing. And so he sees two groups here. He sees the sick and then he sees those who are broken in body because they're sick. And then he sees those who cared for him who are broken in heart because of their loved ones. And it says in Matthew 14, 14, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. See, the Lord Jesus not only saw the need of the sick, he saw the broken heart. It doesn't say that he had compassion. It says he was moved with compassion. In other words, it rocked him to his core. That's why it says he was moved with compassion toward them as a man of compassion, because he not only saw their need of the sick and those who brought them, but he felt the need, both of the broken in body and the broken in heart. And he was moved, and he was a man of compassion. That's Boaz. On another occasion, when the Lord Jesus saw a great multitude, he saw them, when he looked at them, he says, you know, he says, I see them going astray. I see them, they don't have any leader. I see they don't have any shepherd. They don't have any pastor to guide them to God. And he saw their need for a shepherd to bring them to God. And he spoke in Mark 6, 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. The Lord Jesus, he not only saw the need of this great multitude. They don't have a leader. They don't have a teacher. They don't have anybody to bring them to God. But the Lord Jesus felt what it was to feel lost. He felt what it was to feel without instruction, without guidance, without, he felt all that. And that's why in Mark 6, 34, it says again about him, he was moved with compassion toward them. It doesn't say he had compassion. He was moved with compassion. It rocked him to his core. And that's why the Lord Jesus was a man of compassion because you know, he saw the need of people. Oh, look at them. They're, they're like sheep. They're going astray. Everyone's going to his own dark way. You go, okay, I see that. No, he felt it. He felt to his core the need of being a lost sheep. He felt to his core the feeling of insecurity, of going astray, of turning to everyone's own dark way. And that's what made him a man of compassion. He's a man of compassion because he not only saw the need, 
but because he felt the need to the point where it rocked him to his core. And Boaz was that man of compassion. He not only saw the need, but he felt the need where he was rocked to his core. And from what we've seen of Boaz and the Lord Jesus Christ, we are faced squarely with the question ourselves, challenging question, am I a man of compassion? Are we people of compassion? Do we just see the need of others and not feel their need? Can we just watch the news while we eat our dinner and not be affected? Can we just see bullets flying in the news and scoop out some more mashed potatoes? Do we just see the lost and know, well, yeah, they need the gospel, and, but we don't feel what it feels like for them to be lonely. We don't feel what it feels like to be lost. We don't feel what it feels like to have no purpose. We don't feel what it feels like to have no hope. See, do we just see the lost and coldly file them? Oh yeah, okay, they're under the category of unbeliever. And then we give them the gospel with a sense of duty that we have no more compassion than if we were just sitting down and paying our water bill. Or are we people of compassion that not only see the lost, but we're rocked to our core with the feeling of their hopelessness, their lostness, and their feeling of being petrified of the grave? The the lost can tell. They can tell when you're giving them the gospel with about the same passion as you're sitting down writing your water bill. Because Boaz was a man of compassion. He was rocked to his core over Ruth's need. And we saw how Boaz then, he sprung into action. He provided Ruth with comforting security when he called her my daughter in verse 8. Boaz, he flew to her and he provided her with comforting care when he told her, don't leave the fields in verse 8. Stay in my fields. Boaz provided for Ruth. He said, here's the most productive field among my fields, this one. You work in the same field everybody else working in verse 8. And then he said, not only just anywhere in that field, but he gave her the most advantageous position when he says, stay right there by my maidens, verse 8. He provided protection for her when he told her, he said, I warned the young man, they won't touch you, verse 9. And he provided her with water for her thirst in verse 9. He says, go drink from that water those young men are carrying it for you. And then we saw in our last study that Boaz also was a man of prayer who not only knew his God, But he called on his God, and he prayed for his reapers there. In verse 4, he says, came for the reapers, and he says, the Lord be with you. That's a prayer. The Lord be with you. And they said, the Lord bless thee. He's a man of prayer when he prayed for Ruth. Verse 12, he says, the Lord recompense thy work. Full reward be given thee from the Lord. That's prayer. See? We saw last time how a man of prayer knows the three levels of increasing intensity in prayer. The first level of intensity, asking or requesting. The second level of intensity, seeking. The one who's going to answer the prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ. The third level of intensity, knocking. Removing all the barriers that stand in the way of prayer. We saw how as a man of prayer, he prayed with intensity. And then we also saw how a man of prayer prays with consistency. He doesn't give up. He doesn't say, well, yeah, I I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. No, he keeps on going. And then we saw last time how a man of prayer prays with expectancy. He's expecting from God. Not a rock, not a scorpion, not a snake. But he's expecting bread, fish, egg. And Boaz was a man of prayer because Boaz was a child of God. And as a child of God, Boaz prayed. You know, God, 
as children. And those are the ones who should pray. And sometimes I think of God in heaven and some trouble has happened and, and God's walking around saying, where are my children? You know, why aren't my children praying to me? How come I don't hear them praying to me? I'm supposed to hear my children praying to me. What's wrong here? What's wrong with this picture, he says to his angels? My, my children aren't praying. See, Boaz was one child of God that God the Father heard from often. And he didn't have to say, where's Boaz? You know, why isn't Boaz praying to me? I'm supposed to hear from Boaz. What's he doing that, Boaz? God didn't say that about Boaz because Boaz was always praying. And every time God heard Boaz pray, he could say, uh, he, God, God could say before, that's my child, Boaz. There he is, true to form. He's praying to me. I hear him again. I got a wonderful child in Boaz. Now, when we look at verse four, where it says, then said Boaz unto Ruth, hearest thou not my daughter? If we could look on the face of Boaz when he said these words, now hearest thou not my daughter? What would we see? I wonder what we'd see. If we could just look on the face of Boaz here, I'll bet you we could see a smile on his face. We can see a smile on Boaz's face. Why? Because if we were to ask Boaz, Boaz, what do you consider to be the greatest activity that you can do in your life? What is it, Boaz? Boaz, what activity makes you the happiest in life? Boaz, what activity gives you the greatest satisfaction in life? You know what Boaz would not say? My greatest activity is business. He wouldn't say that. Boaz would not say, you know, when I'm building my business and it's getting bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger, it brings me so much happiness, so much satisfaction, so much fulfillment in life. That's not Boaz. He wouldn't say that. What Boaz would say is that the greatest activity that I can do in life, the activity that brings me the most happiness, the most satisfaction, the most fulfillment is to save souls. That's what he would say. That's why if we could see the face of Boaz in verse eight, when he's speaking to Ruth, we would see on his face a smile of happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment. That's why for Brother Dave here, he is happy when he's out there preaching the gospel, even if he does get hit on the head with a salt shaker. They got more staples. <laughs> Boaz was just like David Brainard. David Brainard, the American missionary to the native Indians here, said these words. And he lived kind of a rough life, I mean, in the sense that, you know, he traveled around on a horse all the time. But he said this. I don't care where I live. And I don't care how I live so long as I gain souls for Christ. That was his greatest satisfaction, happiness in life, gain souls for Christ. When Boaz saw the outcast Ruth, more than anything else, he wanted to win her more for Jehovah Jesus. He wanted her to go on in her direction, Godward. He wanted to help her gain a deeper love, a deeper devotion for Jehovah Jesus. And when Boaz saw the outcast Ruth, Boaz flew into action because Boaz had a God-given concern for the lost. And that concern was he wanted to bring the lost to God. It was the ultimate happiness. It was the fulfillment. It was the satisfaction for Boaz. And that's what pushed Paul's button also. That's what brought Paul the ultimate happiness, the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate satisfaction in life was to bring especially lost Jewish people to God. 
And Romans 10.1 says that about Paul's heart when he says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He might as well have said, my ultimate happiness, my ultimate fulfillment, my ultimate joy in life is to bring lost Israel to God that they might be saved. That was the joy. See, when Boaz saw the outcast Ruth, Boaz saw a person in great need And he immediately went to his foreman to find out about this needy soul. And then Boaz flew into action. Why? He had a passion for soul. He had a passion for souls. That was Boaz. And what do you think when I say a passion for souls? What do you think? What goes through your mind when you think soul winning? I mean, it's wrong to think that soul winning is reserved for just those believers who have a special gift or a special calling from God to be evangelists. You know, there hasn't been very many salvations here, but uh, Billy Graham crusade will be coming, and then we'll see something happen. No, a passion for souls, that's what drives soul winning. It's what God wants to be as the norm for every Christian. See, what we see in verse 5 here, when it says, Then said Boaz unto a servant that was said over his reapers, Whose damsel is this? is a Boaz who was on the lookout. He was on the lookout for needy souls because Boaz had a passion for souls. See, and like Boaz, God wants us to be on the lookout for needy souls because God wants us to have a passion for souls. And what we see in verses six and seven here starts by saying, then the servant that was set over, the reapers answered and said, on and on. And then what we see in verse 11 And Boaz answered and said unto her, it hath been fully showed me. Well, how come it was fully showed me? Because I fully asked. I fully wanted to know. I fully dragged it out. I I was not happy until I fully knew he was on the lookout. This is a Boaz who took time to find out the details about needy souls because Boaz had a passion for souls. And a passion for souls means finding out the details about needy souls. Like Boaz, God wants us to take time to find out the details about needy souls because God wants us to have a passion for souls. And this passion for souls is found in every believer who is close to Jehovah Jesus. See, this passion for soul, it can be seen in Paul. Paul had a passion for souls and Paul revealed his passion for souls, when he spoke about his own Jewish people. And please turn to this in Romans 9. First five verses in Romans 9, Romans chapter 9. So I'm going to start speaking when I start hearing the turning of pages and then hear it stop. So if you don't want to have to eat that dinner that you brought with you today, (laughs) Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. So here's Paul. Reveal to us your passion for souls. Lay it on us, Paul. Tell us about your passion for souls. Romans 9.1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, service of God, the promises, whose are the fathers, and as who, concerning the flesh, Christ came, 
who's over all. God bless forever. Amen. It's very important to see in these verses that these verses here in Romans 9, 1 through 5, they come right after Romans 8. And why that's important is because Romans 8 is the Holy Spirit chapter in the book of Romans. The Holy Spirit is spoken of more in Romans 8 than all the rest of Romans put together. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.